0: Created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next generation of professional development in higher education. Thank you for being here every week. It is my honor to bring you higher education thought leaders, topics of note, current trends, and new information to ponder. Shows are replayed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and share your favorite podcast apps today. Uh, on today's show. Thank you for being here. Uh, we have a January 2023 announcement from the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken outlined a new initiative entitled Welcome Corps. The Welcome Corps was designed based on existing programs, building hosting programs in Ukraine, Afghan, Afghanistan, and Venezuela. The new program will allow for Host Corps to sponsor refugees from a wider representation of countries. It also allows for higher education institutions to be a part of the Corps. On this edition of Office Hours, we are joined by Laura Wagner from the President's Alliance and Erin Fitzgerald from Salve Regina University to speak about how the new Welcome Corps were designed and how campuses can learn from existing programs in order to bring refugees to their own campus. But first, we are going to have uh, some news of the day. First up, Education Department hints at possible delays in FAFSA coming to us from inside higher ed. The new version of the free application for student aid, otherwise known as FAFSA, might not be ready by October 1st, federal student aid officials said Tuesday, though the agency is planning to launch the application in the fourth quarter of this year. Melanie Story, Deputy Director of Policy Implementation and Oversight for the Office of Federal Student Aid told attendees at the National Association of Student Financial Aid Administrators Leadership Conference that the agency wouldn't commit to a launch date this fall through its working, though it's working aggressively toward an October 1st launch. The next uh, story we're watching right now is the NCAA is permanently ending SAT, ACT eligibility requirements for division one and two student athletes. And this comes to us from higher education dive. The NCAA NCAA last month permanently removed a requirement that first year division one and two athletes earn a qualifying SAT or ACT score to participate in sports. The shift Stems from an NCAA plan to advance racial equality, which entailed studying athletes eligibility requirements like admission testing the NCAA officials had waived these testing mandates starting in 2020 when the COVID 19 pandemic began to spread and shut down typical exam sites. And finally, also coming to us from Education Dive, the Education Department is questioning whether accreditors did enough to review the University of Arizona Global Campus. The accreditor that authorizes the University of Arizona Global Campus to participate in federal financial aid programs has potentially fallen out of compliance with the U.S. Department of Education. Due to concerns over monitoring of the online college's recruiting and admissions practices, according to a recent staff report from the federal agency, the UAGC was was acquired by the University of Arizona in late 2020 under its former for-profit ownership, the online college then named Ashford University, which was dogged by complaints that it misled prospective students. Those accusations culminated in a 2017 lawsuit against Ashford and its former owner, a court case is ultimately lost. Although the college's accreditor, the WAC Senior College and University Commission has policies requiring it to investigate potential problems with recruiting and admissions, the education department staff wrote it, uh, wrote it did not provide evidence that it increased scrutiny in these areas. And the fact that we actually made it through all of these opportunities and all of this news without bringing up Florida is beyond me, because usually Florida is what we spend time talking about on this show. So There you go. So I want to thank everyone for being here. I want to remind you, if you are new on Fireside, if you are here live, uh, all you have to do is uh, hit the uh broadcast to the world, and uh, down in the lower left-hand corner of your screen, if you click on that in the hamburger menu, which is the little uh, circle with the lines through it, there is an opportunity there to to share this with the world. That gets you a link, and that link is something you can drop into your uh, various um, social media platforms, and now the Fireside is available to be streamed on your web browser, this actually expands our opportunity for sharing at the live audience. If you are new to this and you have never been part of a live audience, you can use the React button in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. This allows for you to clap or to ask a question or to request to come up on stage and ask a question of our panelists. Um, I'm excited about the new opportunities here um, as part of Fireside and I welcome all of you for being here. Today's topic, I think, is a really great one, and I'm super excited about having Laura and Erin here. And I want to introduce Laura Wagner, our first guest. She is the Director of Refugee Student Initiatives at the President's Alliance on Higher Education and Immigration. Prior to joining the President's Alliance, Laura was the Senior Program Officer for Integration at Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services where she worked with a national network of refugee resettlement agencies to develop innovative and client-centered programs for refugee integration. Laura's expertise includes refugee resettlement, education and integration program development and project and grant management. She graduated from Bucknell University and earned her Master's of International Education Development from Teachers College at Columbia University. Laura, take yourself off mute and say welcome, uh, say hi to everybody.
1: Hi everybody, thanks for having me today.
0: Thank you, Laura. And our second guest is Erin Fitzgerald. Um, She's the director of the Center for Global Education and Fellowship at Salve Regina, probably one of the most beautiful campuses you will ever set foot on in beautiful Newport, Rhode Island. The center is responsible for comprehensive campus internationalization, including international student services, exchange partnerships, study abroad programs, and and fellowship advising. In her role, she served as the university lead on the Syria Consortium Program at Salve Regina, a program launched in 2013 which was uh, which has welcomed displaced Syrian students through the F1 student pro- F1 visa student program. From this work, Aaron has become involved in readying the institution to host refugee students. Salve Regina welcomed four Afghan refugee students in January in cooperation with the existing Institute of International Education, the QASP fund and other donors. Thank you for being here, Erin, and uh, say hi to everybody.
2: Hi, everyone. Uh, Thanks for having me, Laura.
0: Thank you for being here. So I want to start with Laura. Tell me about your background and what brought you to refugee work. And if you could please provide us with some details about the President's Alliance and what it does. This is a higher ed show not a lot of people know all these uh government offices other than the department of education so tell us a little bit more about uh about the president's alliance
1: awesome thanks so much yeah so i have worked in and out of refugee resettlement um for about the past 15 years from anything from from youth programming to case management um, to innovations around integration kind of at the national level Um, I joined the President's Alliance um, in July of 2021 to really work on an initiative to expand educational pathways to the US, specifically for refugee students um, through university sponsorship. So it's a really exciting moment and we're excited to share um, more about it um, in the conversation, Um, but it's a really great intersection between refugee resettlement and, and higher education. Um, for those not familiar with the President's Alliance, so the President's Alliance is, uh, was founded in 2017. It's actually a consortium of over 550 university presidents and chancellors. Um, and we operate at the intersection of higher education and immigration. Um, and my role is really to expand refugee student access to higher education in the U.S. Um, by promoting inclusive and supportive policies and practices both on campuses, as well as at a state and federal level. Excellent.
0: Um, And, you know, I was wondering just to clarify uh, as far as where we're going. So I wanna frame this and I wanna thank everybody for being here. And if you have questions, uh, you know that you can use the react button and the Q and A button, so please feel free to do so. Um, And just to clarify, there was an executive order in February of 2021 that declared the intention to pilot private sponsorship when the Welcome Corps was launched in January of 2023. And so just recently, uh, Secretary Blinken announced the Welcome Corps. And the Welcome Corps is this, and I want to give our listeners some context. The Welcome Corps creates new opportunities for everyday Americans to engage directly in refugee resettlement. Through private sponsorships independent of and complementary of existing avenues for volunteering for resettlement agencies. By tapping into the goodwill of American communi- communities, the welcome Corps will expand our country's capacity to provide a warm welcome to higher numbers of refu- refugees. That gives you a little bit of an idea. And one of the things in the announcement that sparked my interest in this conversation was he specifically, Secretary Blinken, specifically highlighted higher education institutions. And executive orders aren't magic. Just because an executive order gets signed doesn't mean it absolutely happens immediately. Um, there is some infrastructure that needs to be built. And um, Laura, I would like to know from you, and then I'm, Aaron, I'm gonna get onto you in a question with you, but give us some background on this executive order and your work associated with it, especially as it relates to higher ed and how did higher ed get to
2: become part of this?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. (laughs) So just to give a little context, so refugees who are resettled, it's it's a state department program. It goes through the Bureau of Population Refugees and Migration. Um, Less than 1% of refugees are resettled worldwide. And when a refugee arrives in the US, um, the priority is self-sufficiency and joining the workforce. Um, so there's very little opportunity for resettled refugees to enter higher education. The other pathway would be to, for a refugee student to come on an F-1 international student visa, <laughs> which is also very challenging right. um, for, for students of many backgrounds, but particularly for those of refugee backgrounds, because you have to declare intent to return to your home country, which is very difficult for a refugee student to do. Um, so the executive order that was released in February of 2021 opened a policy window, a really exciting <laughs> policy window that would add a refugee admissions category called P-4, Um okay that would allow for private sponsorship. So a, a wonderful group of partners saw this policy window through the executive order and came together um, to, to really seize this opportunity for higher education. So there is a similar program that exists in Canada um, that allows higher ed institutions to sponsor um, refugee students and it's, it's monitored through an organization called WUSC. Um, so we brought together Presence Alliance and our partners. We brought together over a hundred individuals representing sixty over sixty organizations, institute higher ed institutions, policy advocates, um, to really seize this window and kind of frame out what that would look like in the U.S. So what would the policy and program infrastructure? Um, be needed? And how could we see this really happen in the US? So it took about six months, there were five working groups. Um, and we That's pulled together a 16 60-
0: for, for something. Yeah. Very
1: impressive. Okay, thanks. Yeah. And it, it resulted in a 60 page report really outlining that um, what we thought that infrastructure could and should look like. Um, we had students engaged in the process, which was a really um, exciting part, both refugee students as well as non-refugee students um, as a part of the working groups. And then following the release of that report, we launched what was called the Response Campaign, which is really to educate the community and higher ed community about what refugee sponsorship could be and the potential of the program as we awaited kind of the actual launch of Welcome Core and hopefully the subsequent university sponsorship program.
0: That's this is really very well uh, framed because I think a lot of people may not a know about it. B, they don't they don't want to think it just fell out of the sky, right? <laughs> they want to know that some some work has put into it. And speaking of doing work, um, Aaron's campus Salve Regina is currently. Uh, hosting student. And it's not, again, I want to be clear, it's not part of Welcome4, but this helps to inform how Welcome4 can kind of scale up and some of the things that have happened in this space. So Erin, how did Salve Regina become part of the initiative uh, that you're currently in, specifically hosting the uh, students from Afghanistan?
2: So as you mentioned in the introduction, Salve Regina has been involved in um, consortiums which were working to support displaced Syrian students, essentially from the beginning of the Syrian civil war um, and up into the present. We're we're, we're still doing that work. And through that work, um, I became connected to the President's Alliance and and, and Laura and um, others involved in the President's Alliance around 2020. And I would just make a side note. I would really urge other universities on this. Uh, podcast to join the President's Alliance if they haven't already. The Alliance is leading the way on advocacy around a number of topics, um, refugee access to higher ed just being just one of them. So I was asked to serve on one of the working groups that Laura just uh, referred to, doing some of the planning, some of the writing, um, leading up to the proposal for the Higher Education Complementary Pathways Project. And I was specifically representing a university perspective as many others, it was a large group of people, as Laura alluded to. So in 2022, um, after having done some of that uh, working group work, um, a specific ask went out to institutions regarding a very specific cohort of 250 Afghan students that had been displaced in August of 2021. Um, from Kabul and evacuated by the American University of Afghanistan to two international locations. So there was some funding um, that came through the group of um, philanthropic organizations that you listed in my introduction, um, I think QASP or CAST. So um, spe- specifically, universities were asked, could you take, I think it was you, Laura, actually doing the asking, could you take five or 10 um, Afghan students from this group at your institution. And so our president at Salve Regina agreed to host five Afghan students on a full tuition and fees scholarship in order to complete their undergraduate degrees. And four of those original five arrived to campus in January.
0: Wow. So it sounds like it wouldn't be hard then to you know convince the institution to be part of this when the president comes to you Aaron and says I think I yes I'm we're okay with this um how did you kind of frame it when you went went to them did it create any concerns uh, or did it seem that hey this aligns with our mission our vision and our values we're going to connect to this
2: I think um in my case I think I was fortunate in that we are a small um nimble private Catholic institution and the president uh, very quickly saw how this work would align um, with our mission uh, very tightly. It literally embodies our our mission. We're founded by um, an order called the Sisters of Mercy. They have a set of critical concerns among which are immigration, educational access, uh, concern for women, um, especially from crisis regions. So the, this work really aligned very neatly with our mission. And we were already in some ways doing the work uh, with the Syrian students who have been coming here since 2013. So she felt we were institutionally ready um, and she was willing to offer um, the scholarships. I would say that many other institutions likely have missions uh, which uh, would align with this initiative. So uh, I, I wouldn't say that's specific to small Catholic Uh, institutions um, at all and I agree with you on
0: that Erin. and I think that especially nowadays if we were actually look at how many institutions have brought social justice or care for the community or being a global a global anything you know in my consulting work when I go and I I work with colleges and they say, well, here's our new, our new strategic plan or here's our new kind of uh, vision statement. And, and nine times out of 10, there's something in there that either places them in a global community, in a social justice mindset, all those kinds of things. So I think that, that any institution of in higher education right now could make an argument that this type of opportunity uh, to be part of the welcome core uh, could be uh, absolutely something that they could take part in and, and rally around a differentiation of this, uh, then, uh, maybe in the current world. So in the current world, as I said, in the in the introduction, uh, you know, we're really dealing with Afghanistan, Venezuela, and Ukraine. Um, but well, what the hope is, it's going to be expanded, right, Laura? So the idea of being able to bring in students from other countries, can you talk a little bit more about that? And then I have a follow-up about um, about the when university sponsorship elements may be up and running and what that looks like.
1: Yeah, so just to clarify, so the existing programs around um, – Afghans and Ukrainians, and then the parole program for Venezuelans, Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans. Those are um, hu- specific humanitarian parole programs that have been laid out by USCIS um, that have an element of sponsorship. So with the when the Afghans were evacuated, there was a pilot program called Sponsor Circles, um, and then we have these these parole programs specifically for these these emerging populations. The idea of Welcome Corps and private sponsorship broadly is that it will be able to reach kind of existing refugee populations overseas, um, and so it will be part of the refugee resettlement program, and that reaches you know a broader swath of, of refugee populations, um, and I believe there, it will likely be piloted in maybe a targeted geographic area, but the intention that it would be available to refugees worldwide. So we'll likely see populations similar to those that are being resettled through the Refugee Resettlement Program.
0: Great. Right. That's really helpful. And the university sponsorship element of uh, Wellcome4, um, it's not currently up and running, But they're going to be announcing uh, that at some point. But we've learned from Erin about the possibilities that you know, in terms of how it feels to the community, and and say, okay, if if a school the size of Salve Regina, which is not a huge institution, can kind of build up around this, and I am going to ask a follow up to Erin, like, what are some of the, you know, sometimes people just say, I need a to do list. What's the to do list? If I'm going (laughs) to bring in students, what's on the to do list? Okay. So we're going to ask a to-do list follow-up, but but I think one of the questions that some folks might be thinking of in this audience is, what are some of the policies, the possibilities that may lay ahead, and when should we be expecting specifics about what you think might be coming?
1: Yeah, so you know it is included in the FAQs, and as you said in the announcement, that Welcome Corps um, will open opportunities for colleges and universities across the U.S. to to sponsor refugee students on their campuses. Um, The information on college and university sponsorship um, of refugee students should be available in in the coming months and that will really help to lay out more details about the opportunity. But the launch of Welcome Corps broadly is kind of an exciting essential first step. So we'll be excited to hear more details specifically around higher ed's um, involvement soon.
0: Excellent. And so Erin, as a follow up, you know, first of all, what did you have to do to get them there? I mean, like, what are some of those kind of to-do lists that you had to make sure you did? You already had some experience with Syrian students, obviously, so you already knew some of the, the bells and whistles. And then I want to add a follow-up that is, like, how did you determine, um, you know, how many students, and what was your capacity? So tell me a little bit more about that.
2: Okay, well, once we had the approval from the president, I think uh, the main thing was um, waiting to receive the applications. In this case, um, we were matched uh, through the implementing organization. In this case, um, again, this is a separate project from the project that's coming, but the Institute of International Education matched us with our applications. Once they became real students, um, the main sort of to-do list was, to go around to the university and sort of meet with every every group, you know, the student affairs group, the academic affairs group, um, you know, uh, and all of the subsets, the mission integration group, and and um, the registrar, the you know business office, student accounts, financial aid, so that they understood that this was a new cohort that was going to be distinct from our F1 international students and from our domestic students and from our exchange students and have a distinct set of needs so that they could ready in their area to support these students. So it was a little bit like a a talking tour around campus uh, to get people um, ready. But I would say for institutions, if you, they're kind of in in one way, they have similar challenges to any transfer student, um, any international student that you're bringing in. And if you have a good international student services structure and a good transfer structure, and then community, um, buy-in across the whole campus, then I think it can it can be done and it's a really uh, enjoyable project for the campus to embark on together.
0: I would think, you know, one of the things that's going on in my head right now is that you bring in a cohort like this and it's a manageable size. You said it was five students, right? Mm-hmm. And you're able to bring them in and now you've got a group of folks from Across the institution student affairs which I'm assuming also encompasses things like counseling and uh, housing and, and that sort of support area then you bring in the folks from the registrar's area and all that and you say okay let's talk about this they've been here these students have been here this cohort has been here three four months let's talk about some of the things we're observing and then I, I'm looking at this through the lens of, of not only a consultant but a former vice president for student affairs I would love to be at that table and say Tell me how this has gone because now you almost have this like small cohort where you're saying, okay, what can we learn from this for, for other transfer students or for other students coming from um, an international population to be able to say, are we actually, uh, are, are our processes in alignment? Is our communication in alignment? Is this helping us do our job better? Because now we're more into like, I never even met you. And now I'm part of this conversation about this group of students. And, and, it's, and it kind of, uh, it always surprises me that even on small campuses, People like I don't think I've ever met you. It's like there are 300 employees at this place. What do you mean you've never met this person? Nope, never met this person. Um, and so I would think that maybe uh, there's an opportunity here for learning to do better across the institution. Erin, um, what are your thoughts on that?
2: Oh, I, I completely agree, and I would underline as well that um, e- even though it's a small cohort, there is a lot of there are some new elements, particularly relative to the resettlement part of it, and the fact that they um, come here and need, you know, they need the room equipped and they need different clothing items in a way that other cohorts of students didn't. Um, I would also underline that each campus, you do need the whole campus's involvement and even beyond the campus and the local community. We had um, a lot of local uh, organizations sort of uh, donate items for the rooms, for instance. But what you really need is a one to two, uh, maybe more champions that will keep um, attention on the small details, so that it goes uh, smoothly, they they just couldn't like you know sort of go through your default um, yes. processes and admissions and and the registrars and so forth. It, it really does have to be kind of handled um, directly, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: I see that Laura, do you have a follow up to that? Because I see you I see you smiling big, so I want to know you must you must have some thoughts on this.
1: Yeah, I just, I would echo what Erin says is that really does take a whole campus approach, right, to make sure, um, you know, every every aspect is coordinated and then then a champion like Erin to make sure all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted um, for these students. And And one thing that, you know, you both are saying that I think we've heard too is that when you make your campus inclusive of refugee and displaced students, you actually make it more inclusive of all students and that the accommodations and the infrastructure that campuses have put in place to welcome refugee students actually has improved the campus experience for all students.
0: That's great, that's wonderful. Um, we're here. This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. We're regularly here on Fireside. Um, I'm thrilled to have all of you. If you're new to the show, please remember, um, you can share the show uh, going down to the what we call the hamburger menu in the lower left-hand corner of your screen um, and share with that. That's on your device. Um, I'm not really honestly sure how you do it on the computer, so we'll see. <laughs> but you can share it on your, on your, uh, on your socials and all of that. Um, um, I'm Dr. Laura DeVoe and I'm your host and we bring topics of higher education news and views and new things that might be going on and and this welcome core that was announced uh, by the uh, Department of uh, the State Department excuse me um, really kind of piqued my interest because it actually brings uh, hosting a re- refugee program on your campus um, into another level potentially um, and uh, it's it's very exciting and we'll see how this goes in terms of the building up of the program. That being said, and I, I want to uh, focus this attention here on this uh, this question initially to Laura, and then Aaron, if you have any thoughts on it. Um, being that higher education institutions uh, and administrators specifically, we kind of have whiplash when it comes to which administration is in charge, and that was what I mean is not on your campus, but who's in charge in Washington, depending on on who's in the White House and who's running the. the different state uh, aspects of the of the federal government um, I'm thinking of title nine for instance is that you know when you have one administration who wants to do right by uh, uh, survivors of sexual assault and sexual violence on your campus or to trans students uh, that's one way of approaching how you run your title nine program and then a new administration comes in changes the changes the rule book and you have to kind of you know readjust it to be in compliance with what's coming down the pike. I'm sure that some in, some senior leaders or some people who might be listening to this podcast are going, yeah, this is great, but what happens if you know, a, a different administration comes in and decides, we're not refugee uh, friendly. We don't want refugees in our country. We've set up this whole program on our campus, and now an administrative change happens. Erin, uh, um, Laura, excuse me, I'm going to start with Laura, you know, what are your thoughts to that? Is there something that is baked into this program that should quell those fears from higher ed? And what does that mean?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think those are very well-founded fears, <laughs> given given everyone's experience. And the refugee program has faced attacks in, in past administrations. Um, so there are no guarantees um, that this is um, will, would be unscathed in, in a change of administration. But there are kind of two protections placed that I feel pretty optimistic about. One is that this is embedded within the State Department, within the U.S. Refugee Admissions Program. So there's um, it's not legislatively mandated. Um, there is less. <laughs> possible attacks that can happen um, to it because it's it's an embedded program. Um, the second is that refugee resettlement historically had been a bipartisan um, program. It had a, a large support from faith groups. It had large support um, across the aisle um, as really part of the mission of the United States to welcome refugees um, and the most vulnerable um, who face persecution. Um, so I think that the the hope is that this this sponsorship program and the expansion of private sponsorship and welcome core and then hopefully the college and university sponsorship element is that that's it's really a private public partnership um and so because it is framed as such I think there is a lot of potential to kind of reignite that bipartisan support um mm-hmm. that won't happen without some effort <laughs> um, but I think there is um I'm optimistic um, that this can be a sustainable, long-standing program. And similarly, that it builds in an infrastructure and supports. So it's not just an emergency response. So we're not asking universities to jump every time there's a crisis, right? That we have right, right. a sustained infrastructure that can provide opportunities for displaced students for the long term.
0: And you're also building muscle memory on a campus. Yeah. Okay, We did this before. We're going to do it again. Um, and I would think that, especially when you create a program like this, that becomes part of that tradition. Higher education is all about tradition. Um, you know, I, I, I joke with my graduate students and they will, you know, when they're listening to this, because I've already teased it out, I'm like, we're going to put this, you know, in the syllabus. Anyway, so we're going to have a conversation about this at class. But when we talk about the institutional tradition, there's your big T tradition, which is your doctrine. So um, you know, Aaron brought it up earlier about the traditions of and the mission of Salve. That is your doctrine. It's not going to change no matter who your president is. doesn't matter, you know, you know, what kind of programs you might add. That stays the same. But Your little T traditions are the things that kind of become this fabric of the institution in terms of the sense of belonging, the sense of space. And sometimes some of the traditions need to be tossed aside, like, you know, mascots that might be inappropriate or, you know, a a bonfire that we have to have during orientation or something like that. But this idea of we are an institution that lives our mission by hosting um, students who are refugees here on our campus, and we do this regularly because it is a fabric, it is part of our fabric, that actually is a good thing. And I think that it, it allows for students to see this as a value statement that they also take on, on on and go beyond. Because one of the things that's going through my, my being here is that a student who might be at Salve right now who has maybe the students uh, who are maybe living in their residence hall or, or nearby or in a class or something like that, they become connected with these students. They then graduate from Salve and someday they're like, oh, the Welcome Corps is associated with my church or a uh, uh, part of my community. Uh, I can actually put together a group of people to champion this in the community. Fantastic. There's a whole other element of this. It doesn't have to only be centered on a college or university campus. So the program itself could actually grow exponentially because people are exposed to it on their campus and then do more of it outside. We see this with civic engagement all the time. Students come on campus, they become civically engaged, they then become connected to issues that matter to them outside of their workplace, but it becomes part of their life. And uh, that's a good thing because that's what we're all about uh, in terms of building that character. Um, and and uh, I see that as being something that's a true growth opportunity here. So I love this idea. Erin, um, the, the former vice president of student affairs in me has got to ask this question, is how are your students faring in terms of their first few weeks on campus? I know they've only been there a short window of time. How are they doing with this transition and how's it going?
2: I, it's gone really, really smoothly. Um, they're you know settling in to their residences, they're into their classes, they're getting involved on campus and um, I'd also say that they're just really pleasant to have on campus. They they have um, small jobs already that they applied for and, and received all, all four of them and, and they've been very positive, um, just a very positive presence. You know, uh, sometimes in higher ed, you have certain parts of the student population that are sort of nitpicking on on small aspects of the experience. And I think these students, given the trauma and the difficulties that they've endured to get here, um, tend to be uh, in some ways a little easier to work with. They're um, they've, they've experienced real problems and they're not focused on um, minutia. They're focused on their long-term goals. So from, from a, you know, somebody who's worked in higher ed a long time, I, I find them uh, lovely to work with. Um, do they require a different types of work and, and, a, and a lot of attention perhaps, but in, individually, I'm um, really um, proud and happy to have them here. And I think that's part of what will make the project as a whole appealing uh, across the political spectrum is that these students that we bring in, the universities will do the work that they do when they will become good graduates and uh, good members of our communities. And I think that just will will hopefully bode well for the whole project in the long term.
0: Something uh, I think is interesting and I, I was teasing out uh, that I was having this show with my, my students the other day, and uh, we're talking about student development uh, theory in the classes I'm teaching this semester and um, it, this idea of uh, the trauma of the students coming in who have faced this trauma did come up with one of my students who's actually a counseling student. And, and, the, and so I guess the question I have is, is from a, a, you know, we've all been at any institution, we've seen students who might be experiencing a culture shock of some kind. Have you experienced any of that? Are the students explaining that this is a little bit of a cultural shock to them in terms of freedom on campus and their ability to kind of get around or are they ha- Have you had those conversations yet or is it still too soon?
2: Um, we actually we, we actually have, but on both ends of the spectrum. So when the students were here about a week and a half, the president actually asked the students how they were adjusting, and they made a point that they had already gone through an extreme, um, adjustment culturally when they were displaced from Kabul to Iraq. In this case, they lived one year in Iraq before coming here. So they were finding this adjustment um, less difficult, I think, uh, than that initial um, move from their home country and culture. But then on the other side, the the, the more challenging, um, I think the American style uh, dormitories, which is what we're using, you know, we're, we put them into sophomore, junior yep. housing try, um, uh, on campus for the most part has worked, but for one of them, you know, you have the classic, uh, the noise and other types of behaviors that are very difficult for them to adjust easily to that we're very used to on U.S. campuses um, in the residential life setting. So I think that's that's probably, it's not the courses for us, not the courses, not the academics, not, you know, working with the faculty. It's that life the in their in the residence.
0: residences. Yeah. <laughs> the noise in the residences noise, as I like to say, is the most subjective thing that a college student will have to deal with. What's noisy to you may not be noisy to me. And that's reality. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, I hate to say this out loud, but that if that is the the most difficult transition, that that's a normal transition that, that so many students are, are feeling. And so that's that's a good thing. It doesn't mean to be dismissive of it, but that's actually good. That's a good transitional challenge to have and let's work let's help you work through it. So that's great. I, agreed. <laughs> when it came to uh you know settling the men, i the idea of they obviously needed housing and that sort of thing i'm assuming they needed everything
2: correct uh, they needed everything in our case um we worked with our local resettlement agency uh dorcas um in providence rhode island so dorcas really uh, did quite quite a bit in the first two weeks of their stay in the u.s which was um really helpful, um, addressing some of the deferred, uh, health, you know, healthcare needs, um, and, uh, clothing and just equipping them for winter, that type of thing. Um, so I, I wouldn't want to underplay their, their role, but, um, but yes, they needed everything. So we have an outside donor's, um, supporting their, their laptops. Um, we have a Mercy Fund on campus supporting their books and school supplies, and then community members from Newport uh, who have completely donated everything uh, for their rooms, including a small refrigerator in one case. So uh, really everything.
0: Awesome. That's great. And that's when the, the community definitely comes in and it shines. Um, you are listening to, uh, you are here with uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. I am Dr. Laura DeVoe, and this is a the Higher Education uh, Show here on Fireside, and we talk about issues around U.S. higher education, and uh, right now we are speaking about uh, refugee uh, programs that can come and be hosted on your campus and what that all looks like. Um, We are, uh, I'm excited to be here with Laura Wagner, um, and with Aaron Fitzgerald. And if you have any questions, you can put them up in the Q and A, or you can request to come on up on stage and ask a question as well. Um, and we are here regularly on Fireside, as well as our replays are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and iHeart Radio Podcasts. And at the end of the show, I will be putting up my contact information, but you can find me at Devotrain, D-E-V-E-A-U Train, on Twitter. Uh, what else am I on? I'm on post and I am now also on Spoutable, a new podcast, because we're just expecting Twitter to just implode at some point, so that's where you're going to be able to find me. All right. Uh, So, uh, Laura and and Aaron, this is for both of you. Um, I want to ask you, what brings you optimism about this program? Uh, What does that actually, what does the optimism of the program look like for both of you? And Laura, I want to start with you and then Aaron will go back to you. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, as I, I said earlier, the the challenges and barriers right now for refugees to access higher ed are, are just immense, right? It's, it's just really not an option. Um, and I I think about when I was a case manager and I would welcome refugees and and primarily those youth, eight, sixteen to twenty four, and they thought they were coming to go to a school, like they thought that was like, I'm coming to the U.S., I'm getting resettled. Thank goodness! And now I'm going to go pursue my education. And and I had to offer the harsh reality of like, actually you're not. <laughs> actually you're going to take this job because you're now the breadwinner for your family. Um, and it broke my heart. Right. So there's there's those. And then you know we have we're at record levels of displacement. There's over a hundred million um, displaced individuals worldwide, and the majority are languishing in refugee camps with little to no hope or opportunity. And, and even still many of those are desperately applying to U.S. higher education institutions, you know, kind of throwing spaghetti at a wall to see what sticks um, so there's any, and, and their ability. Really, yeah. Yeah,
0: they, so keep going.
1: Um, yeah. And especially those who in, in most countries of asylum. Um, so if, especially if they're in a camp there, they aren't allowed to work. There's not an opportunity to pursue work. So they if they finish secondary school, there's not many options. And so higher ed is one of the few. Um, you know, as I said, there is the program in Canada, um, but that is a small number of students and, and other countries are beginning to <laughs> expand these programs. But the US has the largest number of higher ed institutions in the world. And so we just have so much possibility to really change the game. And this is, can be a really transformative moment both for refugee students, but also for campuses to really be able to welcome refugee students on campus. And there was recently a, a research study that um, it if someone knows a refugee, their approval of refugee resettlement and refugees in the U.S. increases exponentially, right? And so if yeah, right. Um, and and when people don't know a refugee, they just don't know and they don't understand. And so, um, I think it's just a huge op- opportunity to both enrich our campuses and opportunities for refugees worldwide.
0: Absolutely. No, this is it's all good, all good information. And and again, I was a little snarky, but not not entirely surprising that no. you actually demystify you know something that you don't understand or have never been exposed to it. Now it's hey, you know what, that actually is a good thing, and I'm, I'm all for this, and this is what we need to be. We need to treat people like humans, and humans are humans, so that's good. Um, and that idea of just the sheer need um, does make uh, operationalizing this uh, an important piece. Mm-hmm. One Z, two Zing is not enough right now. We need to have uh, an infrastructure to bring uh, folks in, Uh, So that uh, we can actually not only ease the refugee crisis in any way possible, um, but uh, it allows for what we do best, which is higher education in Mm -hmm. the United States educates at the we are the we are the best in class. So let's just realize uh, what's going on here and let's let's do our best uh, to live our missions in ways that uh, actually in a three dimensional way. Right. Um, so, Erin, your thoughts on, on what brings you optimism about the program?
2: Well, I, I would say two things. It's um, just this work that's been done with the President's Alliance at the helm, but many, many other organizations, many universities, many philanthropic groups taking part. And I just think the speed with which this concept has become you know, a proposal up to the government and and the enthusiasm, the momentum that Laura alluded to earlier, that makes me very optimistic. Um, and, you know, these best practices, resources are, are building out. And so we're very close to like having a clear tools that universities can really just implement in order to join this this movement. So that makes me optimistic. optimistic. But then my experience on my own campus has made me really optimistic. Everybody wants to pitch in and, and help. Um, and they hear something and I get emails, well, what can I do to help with this? I haven't been involved yet. And that also just makes me very optimistic for the future on our campus as well.
0: That's amazing. And I think anytime, you know, as, as institutions are coming, we're still coming out of pandemic life, okay? In, in many ways. And uh, that opportunity for us to, to further engage with one another um, and that means sharing that human kind of uh, vibe and contact and that sort of thing. This is a perfect opportunity for that. Um, when an institution can take a look at uh, our students, what we do, why we do it, and uh, really you know, do our best by the institution, uh, this is a great, great opportunity. And I love that people are coming to you to say, what else? Do I have in my, you know, toolbox that might be able to help these students um, in their time, which is great. And I think over, you know, and I think it'll just be very interesting to be able to share resources with institution to institution. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, one thing higher ed does very well is we benchmark the hell out of stuff. And so we say, okay, this institution did it. Uh, they're they're very similar to our size. They're similar to our kind of scope of of resources. I'm going to reach out to Erin about that over at Salve. Uh, versus if I'm at say a land grant university in a really huge place, and I think we can our capacity might be a little bit higher to bring students in, and what does that look like? I might reach out to another institution. Um, Laura, I, I didn't ask you to prep for this question, so I'm putting you on the spot, but is, as far as like other institutions that might be out there doing this work, are there other ones you want to give a shout out to? So if people have it in their radar and say, oh, I heard that, that you did this, um, anyone else you, you want to give a little shout out to?
1: Yeah, this is dangerous because I'm going to forget so, somebody. <laughs> Austria, um, I, sorry, will say- you know,
0: I forgot to thank <laughs> my, my partner. Okay, great.
1: Yeah, and I will say overwhelmingly, we have been so um, uh, heartened and impressed with the number of higher ed institutions who've really stepped up in such a variety of ways, whether they took one student or they um, you know have made extra efforts to to recruit uh, refugee students on international student visas. Um, really just overwhelmingly positive response, which is great. Um, I will say there is a large number of institutions who welcomed. Uh, Afghan evacuees from the Asian University of Women, um, and so I would specifically give a shout out to Arizona State, who I think took over 60 students um, and has been doing a lot of work with them over the past year and continues to take more students. Um, Bard College has really championed um, accepting Afghan and Ukrainian students as well, um, and really took a lead role in in the Qatar Afghan Scholarship Program. Um, so I think those are two, and I think. Um, just thinking of that is I think that's a pure testament to the diversity of institutions who can do this. <laughs> um, um, you know, Arizona state and Bard college and Selvay are not the very, same. Very, very
0: different. Institutions. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: Um, and you know, we've seen that, that there has really been a diversity of, of institutions. And, and I think, um, a special shout out to all the champions across the campuses, because it takes, it takes an Aaron or a Pam or, um, you know, really a champion on campus to really push for this and make it happen. Um, and so they've been doing the the legwork, um, and it, it is not unnoticed and greatly appreciated by the students. That's
0: great. Um, you know, as we as we close out today, I think one of the things I want to I want to ask as a final question here is, um, you know, if you could envision this program um, in the next, you know, 15 years, what would you hope that the program actually looks like uh, in the next you know you know next next couple decades um and aaron from your perspective um that might sound very different from from uh laura's but I, i'd like to see what you your kind of hopes are from a campus level versus just a whole infrastructure national infrastructure level so i'm going to start with laura and then i'm going to go to aaron
1: yeah I mean, within fifteen years, I think I'm really optimistic that this this can really be embedded into the culture of higher education, that it's something that um, all all institutions want to be a part of um, and and are able to get the support that they need to be able to do it, right? So there each each institution is going to face different barriers to implementing this program. Um, but if we can create the robust supports to make this accessible to all campuses um, and really have it embedded, Um, you know, there's thousands of U.S. higher education institutions that we could really be welcoming um, thousands of refugee students every year. Great.
0: And Erin, from your perspective, what do you hope it looks like on your campus? Uh, I don't know what your retirement plans are, but in (laughs) 15 years, what do you want it to look like?
2: Uh, Well, I mean, to echo Laura, I hope it will become part of our regular business so that we um, just, like, just like we expect, you know, uh, 15 to 20 exchange students to be joining the university for one semester or two semester, we expect to have um, a regular cohort of uh, refugee students coming in, either as first-term freshmen or transfer students, and that we would um, have a systematic way of welcoming them and supporting them through graduation. But I also am kind of looking forward to an element of, of the program that I haven't mentioned yet, and that is that our our upperclassmen who are the Syrian students uh, who are in their second or third or fourth year always become this sort of um, informal or sometimes formal um, team of mentors for the next group coming in. And of course, the, they then connect them to the broader campus. So I, I do like that kind of um, the student um, element, the alumni element. Of uh, the the students who are further into the program helping us um, build and implement the program um, themselves.
0: And that's a transferable kind of uh, element that higher ed does very well. Um, You know, whether it be peer mentors, peer tutors, peer, 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 you have, when you have somebody who has lived experience that is similar. Um, You don't want to squander that within your student population and allow for them to actually build off of that, which is great. Um, And I I love that thought. Um, And I want to – I would be uh, very inappropriate for me not to say that I I wonder how your Syrian students are doing right now um, with everything that's happening uh, globally um, and uh, what's happening with with the earthquake. Uh, over there. So how are your students doing right now, Erin?
2: Yes, actually, they are in the process of planning a um, vigil, vigil here on campus uh, to take part, uh, take place in the next couple of days and also reaching out to the community to refer the community, encourage them to uh, donate to specifically selected organizations to assist. Fortunately, most of them appear that their friends and family are safe and well, but Many of them know um, students who are still in the region and have lost their housing and um, belongings. But, that, I, I, yeah, it's a difficult time for them. But they, as always, are kind of coming together and trying to be.
0: Right. Well, I'm glad that uh, you're all together and I want to make sure that we, we send our, our uh our spirit of uh, let's let's get what we need to support your students there. So th- uh, thank you so much for, for sharing that. Um, I want to make sure everybody knows that in past episodes of Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, we did have a conversation uh, with some folks from uh, University of Arkiv uh, about the war in uh, Ukraine and how that's impacting their campus. Um, and uh, You know, if you're interested in that episode, you can see that it was at the tail end of uh, season one, so you can actually go back and listen to that if you're you're so interested. Um, We are coming up at the end of uh, today's show, and uh, I want to just highlight a a resource here, which is uh, the Higher Education, uh, the Higher Ed Immigration Portal, otherwise known as if you go to Higher Ed Immigration Portal, one word, higheredimmigrationportal.org, forward slash response dash campaign uh that will get you some information we will make sure that that link is up in uh the replay information as well as on um apple podcasts and spotify and on iheart so you have that information um and uh so laura and erin if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way we'll start with laura and then uh over to over to erin
1: yeah, absolutely. So people are welcome to email me. My email is Laura at PresidentsAlliance.org. Um, so PresidentsAlliance.org. Right, And
2: Erin. Uh, okay. Yes. Um, also email it's Aaron, my first name, Erin, dot Fitzgerald at Salve, S-A-L-V-E dot E-D-U.
0: Fantastic. Well, it's been a pleasure having both of you here. I hope you had a good time. I know that's always like tense because if you've never done this before, it's like, Oh my God, what am I doing? You both did great. So thank you folks for being here. And this has been office hours with Dr. DeVoe. It is a live audio broadcast aired aired and recorded week uh, here on the Fireside platform. I am your host, Dr. Laura DeVoe. And I thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to my newsletter. What's up in the Academy. It is the number one higher education newsletter on the Substack platform and follow me here on fireside twitter spoutable Post, linkedin whatever you're on go there i'm i'm not on tiktok um, and so you will see my contact information right now scrolling across the screen thank you for being here now get out there and learn something have a great day everybody thank you thanks everybody